0: If you'd like to follow along in the preaching this Lord's Day, we're going to be considering Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. When we come to Christ in faith, embracing Him alone for our eternal salvation, we learn that Christ also graciously rewards us for our obedience to His revealed will. This is truly amazing. For Christ not only purchased for us the faith to trust Him, Christ not only purchased for us the robe of Christ's unspotted righteousness which He imputes to us and the free, absolute pardon of all of our sin, Christ not only purchased for us the adoption of of sons, so that God, as judge, who has declared us forever righteous in Christ, removes his judicial robes, comes from be- behind the judicial bench, and throws his arms around us and calls us his children. Places his ring upon our finger, as it were, and gives to us the status and the privileges of the sons of God. Christ not only purchased for us the desire and the will to follow him so that none of his sheep can ever be lost again. But dear ones, what humbles and melts this cold heart of mine is this as if that Christ had purchased, as if all that Christ had purchased for us already that we have just mentioned were not enough to endear our hearts unto Him forever and ever? Christ also purchased for us innumerable rewards, which He freely lavishes upon us for our obedience, in obedience which He Himself works within us according to his own good pleasure. What a Savior we have, dear ones. How cold and indifferent our hearts have become when we forget how gracious and merciful is the Lord Jesus Christ to us in the covenant of grace. This Lord's Day, let us consider together the grace of Christ in bestowing upon His people both temporal and eternal rewards. The main points from our text in Mark 10:28 through 31 are these. First of all, the loss of those who follow Christ. Mark 10, verse 28. Secondly, the reward of those who follow Christ. Mark 10, verses 29 through 30. And then, thirdly, such rewards call us to humility rather than to pride. Mark 10, verse 31. First of all, then, the loss of those who follow Christ. Look with me at Mark 10, verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee. Our text today cannot be isolated from that which precedes it, for it is closely connected with the discourse which the Lord had with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 22. There you recall this young man who was very wealthy had come to the Lord seeking to know what good works he must do in order to inherit, or rather, from his perspective, in order to purchase eternal life. Since eternal life is not an item that sinners can purchase due to their natural corruption and inability to present unto God that which he requires, which is namely a perfect and sinless life. Christ sends this rich young ruler back to the law of God in order to show him his own law-breaking and the utter futility of seeking to purchase his own salvation by his own good works. Dear ones, a sinner first must see his own sin. He must see his own condemnation before God on the basis of his sin. And it is the law of God which reveals that to us. He must see that before he can clearly see Jesus Christ in all of His beauty. Jesus Christ in all of His righteousness and glory before he realizes his desperate need of Jesus Christ, he must see how vain and futile it is to seek his salvation through his own vain works. The Lord reveals to this rich young ruler his sin of covetousness when Christ commands him to sell all that he owns, to give it to the poor, and come and follow him, be his disciple you'll recall that this rich young ruler walks away grieved. He walks away sorrowful. Not sorrowful because he was walking away from Christ, but because of what Christ had commanded him, that is, to sell all that he had. For his wealth, it is very clear, was more valuable to him in his sight than Christ was valuable to him. The Lord then takes the opportunity to instruct the disciples concerning the impossibility of men entering into the kingdom of God by their own riches, by their own works, or by their own gifts. In Mark chapter 10, verse 27, the Lord says, It's impossible with men. With men, it is absolutely impossible for them to gain eternal life through their own efforts. There's nothing they can do. They're totally helpless. But with God, all things are possible. And so faith must be placed in the God who works, that which is impossible. Now... In response to the discourse with the rich young ruler and the instruction that the Lord had given to his disciples about the dangers of abuse, abusing the wealth that God has given to them, Peter interjects the following on behalf of all the disciples. He says in verse 28, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. The parallel account in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 19.27, adds the question, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee, what shall we have therefore? What shall we have because we have forsaken all and followed thee? In other words, Peter is saying, Look here, Lord, that which the rich young ruler was unwilling to do, We have done, for we have forsaken our vocations. We have forsaken our possessions and have followed thee. What will be our reward? What will we gain by this? Well, it's certainly true that Peter and the other disciples had forsaken their vocations in order to follow Christ which is commendable. It is certainly true that Peter and the other disciples who were who were married had also spent periods of time no doubt vast periods of time much time away from their families in order to follow Christ which is also commendable. But there appears to be in Peter's question the drawing of Christ's attention to what they themselves have personally sacrificed in order to follow him. As if to say, but Lord, look at us. Look at us. Look at what we have sacrificed compared to the rich young ruler. Look what we have forsaken to follow thee. This question may not have been motivated by pride, but knowing the sinful tendency of our own hearts to compare ourselves with, with others so as to place ourselves in a better light, and knowing the problem that the disciples had with pride, as we have seen uh, even in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 40, it's not unreasonable to conclude that Peter had turned his attention away from Christ to what honors their sacrifice should bring upon them. This is especially the case as we look at Mark chapter 10, verses 35 and following, which, God willing, we'll consider next Lord's Day. There you see that two of the disciples, James and John, The sons of Zebedee come to the Lord, and they say to the Lord, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And the Lord says unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? to which they respond, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. Again, it's not beyond imagination that here, likewise, when they say, what are we going to get, that this was filled with the same kind of an attitude, focusing more on the reward than the rewarder more on the gift than the giver. You see, on the one hand, it is right and faithful for the child of God to look to the gracious rewards promised to him by Christ as a further incentive for perseverance and in following the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, for example, notice the incentive that is given by way of the reward promised. When the Lord says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You see, the incentive of the reward laid up for them in heaven was to give them that added motivation to persevere when they are persecuted here upon the earth. So there is a godly use of the rewards which the Lord has promised us. We see even in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, that that even giving to one who is in need a cup of water, the Lord says, a cup of cold water will not be forgotten, but will be rewarded. The Lord will not miss anything by way of rewarding that which is done to His glory. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter which speaks of, of faith, speaks of those who did trust the Lord. We find concerning Moses, beginning with verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. His eye was glued, was affixed to the reward that waited for him in heaven. He then had the courage as a result of that reward. He had the motivation to persevere It's suffering with God's people rather than choosing the the passing pleasures and glory that were within Egypt. However, on the other hand, there is a danger which we must avoid in looking to the gracious rewards that have been promised to us. Let me list not just one danger, but several dangers that we must avoid in looking to the reward which the Lord has promised to us. First of all, we must not look to these rewards in pride as if we could earn them or as if we deserve them in any way. We must continuously keep before our minds what the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians four or seven, when he asked them, and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why didst thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? A second danger we must avoid. We must not look to them that is to these rewards promised to us by God apart from looking to Christ who freely purchased them for us for the scripture teaches that he the living God is our exceeding great reward in Genesis 15:1 if we're looking more to the benefits than to the one who bestows the benefits, then we're in danger of misusing the whole concept of rewards. We must look to Christ, and through Christ, to the rewards that are promised to us. Thirdly. We must not forget that it is due to the grace of God that we even desire or will to do His good pleasure. See, the Lord rewards us for obedience to His revealed will. But why do we even desire or will to do His revealed will? According to Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works within you both to will and to do His good pleasure. We must not forget that it is God who gives us that will and desire. Fourthly, we must not value rewards more than we value Christ. Our chief motive in serving Christ should always be love and gratitude to Jesus Christ for what he has accomplished in our life. And for the beauty of His person, the beauty of His nature, the beauty of all of His attributes, the excellencies of our God, His might, His power, His righteousness and holiness, His glory, His omniscience and omnipotence, omnipresence, His infinitude, all the glories of our great and mighty God we ought to value and to love as well as what he's accomplished for us. Fifthly, we must not expect, dear ones, to receive the promised rewards too soon. That is, we ought not to expect to receive the rewards of God we fall upon our faces and say, well, I guess God is just not going to reward me before the battle is ended and before the race is finished. We must be patient and we must be faithful in all that Christ has called us to do, to finish the course that, his, that He has laid before us. And then... We reap, we reap the eternal rewards of the Lord our God. Dear ones, if we are using rewards which Christ has promised us and purchased us purchased for us, as we ought, we will find ourselves broken before the Lord at the thought of these gracious rewards. We will find ourselves filled with humility at the reception of such gracious rewards. And we will find ourselves driven all the more to Jesus Christ to embrace him with ever-increasing faith. We will know that we are using the rewards which Christ has promised us as they ought to be used if these things that I've just mentioned are realized and being realized in our lives. The second main point, the reward of those who follow Christ. In Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 30. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren, or sisters or father or mother or wife, or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the world to come, Eternal life. So Peter has asked this question, as we have seen in verse 28. The Lord now answers the question posed by Peter. For there is nothing wrong with the question in and of itself. If it was asked with pride, obviously there's something wrong with that. But nothing wrong with the question in and of itself. And in his answer, the Lord promises gracious rewards to those who have followed him in faith. Note first the absoluteness of this promise of reward. And Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, there is no man who hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, and the gospels, but shall be rewarded. No man, no woman, no child, no one. It's absolute. Whatever a Christian forsakes in this life, In order to follow Jesus Christ, will without exception be rewarded by the Lord. Absolutely none will fail to receive their reward. Secondly, from the promise which the Lord makes in these verses, what is it that Christ mentions here that we must be willing to forsake for His sake? for his cause. Well, he mentions several things, but they can be summarized under two broad categories. We must be willing to forsake all earthly possessions, which are summarized by house and lands, but would no doubt include money, jobs, cars, and all all other earthly possessions. In the second major category, that we are to be willing to forsake are all earthly relationships, which are summarized by brothers and sisters, father, mother, wife, and children. The only reason the husband is omitted is because Christ is speaking here to men in the immediate context. That would certainly apply. Therefore, to women they must be willing even to forsake husband as a husband is willing to forsake wife to follow christ we must remember dear ones that we do not absolutely own anything in this life we are stewards we are tenants to whom the Lord has loaned certain gifts and resources to manage on his behalf, whether it be a possession or whether it be a relationship. When we begin to act as though what we have is ours in an absolute sense, we have then robbed God of what is rightfully his. For the Lord says, in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The fullness thereof. Without exception, everything belongs unto the Lord God. Therefore, when the Lord calls us to let go of anything in this life, He can do so not merely because He is infinitely bigger and stronger than we are, not just because He has the power to take it from us, but He can do so because it does not belong to us in the first place. It all belongs to Him, and He has loaned it. To us, to manage on his behalf. Regardless of the possession, regardless of the relationship, it is loaned to us as his tenants, as his managers and stewards. It is therefore his to do with as he pleases. Does that automatically mean that if one of these possessions or relationships should be taken from us, that we will not feel pain and sorrow? Of course not. We may grieve over the loss of a loved one. We may grieve over the loss of certain possessions. But the Lord will comfort He will grant grace. He will help us to again realize in the midst of our pain and sorrow that it is His right to do so. That He is God. And He does so not to hurt His children. He does so to encourage, to help, to cause His children to grow and to glorify Himself according to His most holy Wise plan with Job, dear ones, we ought, as his children, to be able to say, Now, before these earthly possessions or these earthly relationships should be taken from us or in the midst of that time in which we sorrow and grieve. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away, and blessed be the name of the Lord we think we can do that in our own strength, we've got another thing coming. That's the grace of God at work. Well, how might the Lord take away from us either earthly possessions or earthly relationships? By several means. By means of natural calamities, such as fire, flood, Storms, earthquakes, that which we have can be taken from us. Or by means of economic recession or depression or cycles in the financial market, one might lose a job or lose money in investments. Or by means of theft or robbery, whether by one breaking into your house and taking that which is within your house, or by requiring you to unlawfully pay certain taxes, or by means of a tyrannical government. Many liberties may be stolen and robbed, By means of persecution, we may forfeit many things in this life. As we have seen in the lives of the faithful witnesses of Christ throughout history. By means of the needs of ourselves or others, we may be called upon to sacrifice that which is dear to us. To give that which we have in order to help others. Or we may, due to our own desperate needs, have to sell something that's important to us in order to provide for ourselves. The Lord can take things from us by these means. By means of illness, by means of injury, by means of disease and sickness, we may lose our own health. That can be taken from us. By means of death, we will lose our own life in this world and the life of loved ones. By means of standing for the truth, dear ones, we may lose family members and friends. For standing for that which is right, we may lose that close relationship that we once had with certain family members and friends. Again, this is not new to us. It is not novel to us. It is something which Christians have faced throughout the centuries. We ought not to think, why are we having to go through these things when we suffer the loss of these particular uh, things that we've mentioned and by means of these uh, these various ways. This is not new or novel to any of us. This has been happening to Christians who have stood faithfully for the, to, uh, for the Lord's cause for generations. Dear ones, are we not taught by such truths when we realize that we don't own anything in an absolute sense, and that what we do have to manage on behalf of God can be so quickly taken from us. Does it not teach us to cling more loosely to the things of this life and more tightly to Jesus Christ? Doesn't that teach us that? It is reported concerning Martin Luther. And when his daughter was very, very ill, he said, Lord, thou knowest that I love this child. Yet if thou wilt take her, I am ready to give her to thee with both arms. These are questions we must ask ourselves now, dear ones. Not once we're in that particular situation, but now we must ask ourselves these questions. If we would be ready, should the Lord bring us to that place in our lives where we must forfeit those possessions or those relationships? A third observation about the promised rewards made by Christ is the reason given for the loss wherein it says, for Christ's sake and the gospel's sake. The Lord will not forget whatever the sacrifice you have made in standing humbly and faithfully for the truth of Jesus Christ. I would submit that we may suffer for Christ's sake and the gospel's sake, by way of attacks from the enemy, even when it is not so obvious that the attacks are from the enemy, as in the case of Job. Certainly, he suffered a great deal from these supposed friends who came so uh, uh, supposedly to encourage him. That was a great uh, pain in which he had which he had to bear. But he was bearing, you recall, even prior to the arrival of these friends, he was bearing great suffering which was instituted, instigated, by the devil, which was, as it were, behind the scenes. He didn't necessarily hear, or not told that he knew of this audience, as it were, between God and the devil. The reason for what had occurred, all he saw was that this was taken away, that was taken away. It was not such an apparent type of loss that he could say, this enemy has come, this outward visible enemy has come because I have stood for the truth. But it was a more indirect, invisible type of an attack. And this may be as well our lot as we suffer for Christ. We may not know, we may not understand why certain things happen to us and fall out the way that they do. Whenever that happens, certainly we ought to search our hearts. We ought to investigate and to see whether there is some sin in our life for which we have not repented some duty that we are not fulfilling, which we ought to be fulfilling. But upon examination, if there is nothing that the Lord reveals to us and shows forth to us in our life that we are obstinately living in some sin, then it may be that we can simply look at a situation similar to that in which Job passed. Job was suffering for Christ's sake and for the gospel's sake. We see in the fourth place, here in Mark 10.30, the rewards promised to those who let go of the things of this life for the cause of Jesus Christ. Christ's rewards are said to be poured out upon us a hundredfold, which is to say that the Lord will not take from us anything, that he will not more than abundantly bless us with so much more, both in this life and in eternity. How in this life? in this present time or this present life, are mentioned the possessions and relationships which have been forfeited for the cause of Christ. In Mark chapter 10, verse 30. And how the Lord will reward us And he uses the same terms. You have given up house. The Lord says he will reward a hundredfold houses. You've given up lands. The Lord says he'll reward a hundredfold in lands. You've given up mother or father, brother, sister, these earthly relationships. The Lord says he will reward A hundredfold. Not merely in eternity, but he says in this time, in this life. And how is that? How is it that the Lord will reward us a hundredfold in this life, in these things that we've mentioned, both by way of possessions and relationships? Well, I would submit to you that he will reward us through the love and the charity of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we are willing to forsake that which the Lord calls us to or that which the Lord takes from us and we willingly accept that loss for the cause of Christ and for the gospel's sake, the Lord will reward us a hundredfold through the love and the charity of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 17 it says but whoso Hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him? How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. Another way in which the Lord will reward us a hundredfold in this life if we suffer the loss of these possessions or relationships for the cause of Christ is through the abundant grace that God gives when we learn again and again to find our peace, our joy, and our contentment in Jesus Christ. Someone who knows that peace, that joy, and that contentment will not suffer the loss of that at the expense of anything in this life. For it will be more precious to him than homes and lands and of any earthly relationship That will be a reward a hundredfold given as well. It's interesting that the Lord here adds with persecution. He lists these rewards both as to possessions and as to relationships, and then he mentions with persecution the lord rewards us not only with these earthly possessions and relationships but he rewards us as well with persecutions persecutions being a reward well the the lord says to us in philippians chapter 1 verse 29 For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. It is a reward, dear ones, to suffer for the sake of Christ. To suffer loss for the sake of Christ, it is a reward, it is a blessing which God bestows upon us. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it is a reward to suffer for Christ, for Paul says his prayer is that I may know Him, that is Christ, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. That is what he seeks. That is what he desires to know the communion with Christ in His sufferings, to suffer with Christ for His cause, for His sake, for His truth, to be so wrapped up in Jesus Christ that He not merely wants to know His power, that which we would term more positive and beneficial from our perspective, but also to know the fellowship are the sufferings. The disciples counted it a privilege. They counted it a joy, dear ones, that they had been accounted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. In Acts 5.41, having been whipped For teaching in Christ's name, they went forth rejoicing. Not resentful, not bitter, not murmuring and complaining, but rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer for his name. How often is that your attitude or mine? when we go through the sufferings that we go through in this life. How often do we say to the Lord, Dear Lord, I thank Thee that Thou hast counted me worthy to suffer for Thy name, to promote Thy glory for all of the world with with whom I come in contact can now see the power of Jesus Christ operating in my life as I am sustained not by my own strength but by the power and the grace of God and as I can give testimony to the Lord that He is ever faithful that He will sustain me that He will see me through to the end. Dear ones, if we would know Christ's glory Scripture teaches we must first know his sufferings. And it is by these sufferings, it is by affliction, it is by persecution that we come to grow in our faith, to grow in our love for Jesus Christ. It is by our suffering that God crushes pride in our life and exalts humility. And it is by our suffering that Jesus Christ is seen to be all in all, to be seen as the only one that we truly have need of in this life. The Lord not only promises rewards in this present time, but also rewards in eternity. We shall in eternity... Receive eternal life, which summarizes all the treasures laid up for us in heaven. Both that from which we shall forever be set free. Sin, temptation, weakness in spirit, weakness in the body, illness, fears, worries, distresses, persecutions, loneliness, and death forever set free from these and forever set free unto unto joy unto holiness unto strength unto communion with Jesus Christ without interruption communion with all of his saints without interruption. Nothing to impede or to hinder that communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ. How, dear ones, we become so discouraged in our life about the various impediments and and hindrances to our communion with Jesus Christ as we consider the weakness of our flesh. How often do we cry out, Lord, how I hate... The fact that I do not enjoy Thee more. How I despise my neglect of the means of grace the way that I do. And yet there will not be any of those hindrances in heaven. The third and final point is this. Such rewards call us to humility rather than to pride. In Mark 10.31 we read, But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Finally, Christ reminds the disciples that they, nor ourselves, ought to look with pride at our outward position or rank in the kingdom of God, as the basis for which we are rewarded by Christ. The Lord is pleased to reward us for his own namesake, to glorify himself and to glorify his grace and his mercy. The Lord is no respecter of persons. You may say, look at who I am. Look at the gifts that I don't possess. What rewards will the Lord bless me with? Well, dear ones, don't look at it in terms of that at all. The Lord is no respecter of persons. What are you doing with the gifts and the graces which the Lord has blessed you with? Are you squandering them? Have you hidden them or are you using them? For the glory of Jesus Christ. There is a sober warning that is presented in the words of our Lord here when he says, but many that are first shall be last. Some who appear to be first now will fall away from Christ and be last. Think of Judas Iscariot, for example. He appeared to be among the first, at least outwardly in the eyes of the men. But he was never saved. He was a hypocrite. Teaches us, dear ones, not to put our confidence in our present outward privileges as officers in the church as members of the Reformed Presbytery in North America, as those who have been baptized or examined to come to the Lord's Supper. For there are many who now may give an outward show of obedience, who will not finish the race, who will not fight to the very end, and who will be last. And who will never enter into the kingdom of Christ. It is not, dear ones, how we begin the race necessarily. Certainly, we must all begin with faith in Jesus Christ, but outward appearances. It is not, by way of outward appearances, how we begin the race, it is how we finish the race. How are you running the race? Is it full of outward show? Outward glory? That's not what counts, dear ones. What counts is how you run the race in your heart. You desire to please and obey the Lord. You desire to repent and turn from your sins. Confess your need of Jesus Christ. To live in dependence upon him. Rich, the gifted, the knowledgeable within the church may appear to be the first in the kingdom of God. But their riches, their gifts, and their nor their knowledge will prevent them from falling away from Christ and His truth if their trust is in their riches, in their gifts, and in their knowledge. But there is not only a sober warning, but the Lord concludes with a joyous proclamation that is presented in these words, And the last first. And the last shall be first. Some who appear last now due to their sin due to their poverty, due to their problems, due to their weaknesses, due to their lack of gifts or knowledge, will, at that day, that final day, at that last day, be first. Will be first. Why? Because their faith was not in their riches. Their faith was not in their gifts. Their faith was not in their intellectual ability. But their faith was in Jesus Christ, dear ones. This is our hope, even for those with whom we have presented the gospel, perhaps many times. The last shall be first. Do not give up. Do not do not stop praying for those who are without Christ. Do not stop praying for rebellious children. The last shall be first. Continue to beseech the Lord for all of those who are walking in rebellion contrary to the truth that God would cause them to finish the race. to finish the race strong to the glory of Christ. Please stand with me in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy promises unto us. Promises of rewards which we, O Lord, could never earn nor deserve. Promises which are bestowed freely upon us. Rewards which are bestowed freely upon us through Christ our Savior. We praise Thee, our Father, for the great love with which the Lord has loved us. It is not that we have first loved Him, but that He has first loved us that calls forth from us such love and gratitude. And, O Lord, our God, we pray that Thou would cause us to run the race before us with courage, with faith in Jesus Christ, looking not to our outward privileges as the basis for our salvation, but looking to Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, We ask our Father and our God that Thou would encourage Thy people this day with these truths, that Thou would make us sober, uh, O Lord, to heed the warnings which we have heard as well. Cause us, O Lord, to reflect upon uh, as well the the call of the Lord to be willing to, to forsake all to follow Thee. Lord, we ask that Thou would, would challenge us all this day, that we would not soon forget how Thou hast spoken through Thy Word and by Thy Spirit this day into our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. www.swrb.com We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at At 4710 37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E D M O N T O N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T 6 L 3 T 5. You may also request a free printed catalogue. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart. From his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to His commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known